0: today we begin our new study in the epistle that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Okay. So before we actually get into the text, we always want to do some form of an introduction so that we can understand what Paul's overall idea and meaning and purpose was to the Ephesians in the writing of this particular epistle. So let us begin by stating the obvious that Paul is the author of this epistle. We see this in verse number one. We see this in verse, uh, chapter three, I believe in verse number one. And we also understand that as, and as Paul was the writer of this epistle to the Ephesians, that this epistle is a part of what we call Paul's prison epistles. That is, it is a group, a, par- a part of a group of letters that Paul wrote during the time that he was imprisoned in Rome at approximately around the time of 60 to 63 uh, AD. So, this was Paul's first Roman imprisonment. And it was during this particular time that he wrote this epistle to the Ephesians. And it seems that he wrote this particular epistle during the early parts of his imprisonment, when Paul did not know that he would uh, be released. So it seems that this epistle would come about at roughly around 60 to 62 AD that Paul wrote this particular epistle. Now, the purpose, or the for, for the most part, the theme of this epistle, this is one of, uh, in the occurrences of Paul's epistles, a common occurrence in Paul's uh, epistolatory writings, that is the writings of his letter. We see them being divided into two parts, theological and practical, or we can call it application. That is, Paul was set forth in the beginning of, of his epistle, some theological point, Or points that he is trying to make. And then, after setting forth those theological points or mysteries or understandings or bringing certain things to the forefront, after he would set forth those things uh, uh, in front of the reader, then he would continue on with the second part of the letter, which has to do with application or practical living. And so as it is in this manner, Paul also writes to us the book of Ephesians. I'm sorry, we call it a book, but actually it is the letter or the epistle to the Ephesians, which was a very large area. And it also consisted of more than one church and the letter, like the letter to the Colossians, was intended to be circulatory. That is the letter that Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus was also intended to be read by other churches as the Ephesians would be um, required to read the letter that Paul wrote to other churches themselves. But nevertheless, they are delivered to us as a body of the revealed word of God. So, We have now the author that Paul, who is the author of the uh, epistles to the people in Ephesus. And we have his theological as well as practical purpose. And now, okay, okay, I'm sorry. So let me get more so into that theological purpose. Theological purpose is in that Paul is giving thanks to God and he's giving praise to God for his effective love and grace in election. That is, Paul is thanking God for all that God has done, according to his grace and God's kindness alone in saving for himself, saving for himself a particular people to the praise of God's glory alone. Now this is important because it's developed in chapters one and two, but Paul really brings that home in chapter two with that altogether familiar statement that we remember what? For by grace you have been saved. So, that theological development that Paul is trying to give is that Paul is showing how God, according to his own richness, and kindness and love and grace. How God has brought together both Jews and Gentiles as one people to benefit from God's grace so that they would be God's people and they would inherit all of the wonderful and unimaginable grace of God. Now, that's the theological point that Paul is trying to bring about. Now, second with that is the practical purpose. So the idea of what Paul and that theological point Paul makes in chapters one through three, one through three. And then in chapters four through six, he brings about the practical application of his letter and the app, which we call the application and the practical application of the letter is simply saying Paul respond to God's goodness. That is in God's elective grace. Now, when I say stuff like that, we don't want to confuse you elective comes from the sense of election. God choosing to save whom he has chosen to save according to his will, his kindness, his effective love. All of this is the grace. It is the evidence of God's grace to a particular people. So you have to bring in all of that deliciousness to understand election. It is what and whom God has chosen to place his love and his grace upon. And we simply call that his salvation. But nevertheless, so, To those who have, who have been the recipients of this elective grace and salvation of God, how should you respond? And so what he says in chapters four through six in the practical nature of this letter is you respond with loving obedience. You respond with righteous living. And so that's what we do in response to God's saving grace. Okay, so now let us, uh, and this video will be for the most part pretty short, I believe, we're going to try to get into the introductory verses. I think we're gonna look at verses one through six of Ephesians in chapter one, and then for other videos, we will continue there forth. Okay, so let's get started an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's start. So now we basically have a salutation or in other words, the opening of his letter, Paul's letter, as well as to the recipients of this letter. So he introduces himself as Paul, and he also refers to himself as an apostle. That is one who was chosen by Jesus Christ to represent Jesus as a unique individual. That is an apostle, one who bears the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, this authority is unique. An authority that is not given to every Christian's. Apostles are unique. And he says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he says, this, this, uh, personage that he has in being an apostle is not of his own doing, but it is by the will of God. So he introduces himself and now the direction of his letter, the recipients to the saints, what saints? The ones who are in Ephesus, such saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So now we have from whom the letter is from, that is the apostle Paul, and to whom the letter is to, and that is the faithful saints of God, holy ones of God who are living in Ephesus. And also we remember that we already stated earlier that the intent of this letter was not to be only to the saints in Ephesus, but it was also to be regarded in a circular way. That is other churches should read the letter that he wrote to uh, the saints in Ephesus. Now he begins in verse number three, with his uh, 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 continuing on after the salutation with the blessings and thanksgiving. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined. You know what? I'm gonna stop right there. I'm gonna stop right there because there is so much that the Apostle Paul is talking about. So he opens it up, which allows us to see one of the reasons, or should I even say, the thematic purposes to his letter. That is, You know, it kind of makes me think about how when I used to sit in church and I would hear sometimes the mothers in in the praising form of church, when the church would begin to worship God and they would say, Lord, I thank you, I thank you. And you can understand how somewhere in their mind, they began to reflect on the goodness of God, the love of God and the mercy of God. And this brought about a certain buildup of emotion and that emotion would be expressed in verbal gratitude. And they would just simply say, Lord, I thank you. And so now we can kind of see the same thing in the apostle Paul, as he opens up this epistle, the letter to the Ephesians, when he was saying, blessed be the Lord and God of our father. so he's saying, Lord, I thank you. So, but let's get back into the text, but you can see the pathos of Paul early in the letter. That's why we say the theme we can say in that theological, uh, uh, part of this letter, chapters one through, uh, three is thanksgiving to God for his elective grace in saving a particular people according to his mercies. But we're not going to rehash all of that. Going back to the text, What blessed be God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this blessing of Thanksgiving goes to both God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, notice how he refers to Jesus. He refers to Jesus from both the divine perspective that he is God and his human perspective. One who comes in the flesh as the Messiah. And that's why he calls Jesus what? Lord. That's that designation for divinity and Christ. That's that designation for being a human being who comes with a purpose to function as the Messiah. Okay. Blessed to both what father and the son and what has he done? What have they done? who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And so he's saying that because of God, the father and the son, they because of what the father has done in his redemptive plan and the son has done in his obedience to the father's redemptive plan. This has given us a blessing, a blessing beyond our understanding, a wonderful and great blessing, even what in the heavenly places. And as, and let and we understand that this will therefore speak to our inheritance, the greatness of our inheritance, and whereby we might receive our inheritance, and that inheritance will be in result in Christ Jesus lived out. But I ain't gonna get into all of that But the point is, he is saying what? How blessed and Lord, we thank you for all that you have given us in our blessings. Now, before we continue on, let me give your attention to the use of the pronoun us. This, you must understand. I mean, it is imperative for you to understand it. And that is, the pronouns that Paul will be using throughout, for the most part, throughout his epistle. Paul will be switching back and forth from the use of saying us, we, and then you. And you need to understand the distinctions that Paul will will be using. Now I'll bring those distinctions out as we work through the exegesis of the text, but I tell you preliminary that what, these pronouns are functioning many times in a different way. So when Paul speaks of the us, not in every way, but we'll talk about them specifically, Paul speaks as here, as Paul speaks here, collectively for all of the people of God, both Jews and Gentiles. That is all who are believers in Christ Jesus. And then later on, Paul will use the pronoun we, to deal with specificness or the specificity, speaking about Jews. Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians, not Gentile Christians to the, which I am, but Jewish Christians. And then Paul would use the pronoun later on in a somewhat of a contrast. You that is with reference to Gentile Christians, none Jewish Christians. So you have to be careful of the times that Paul began to switch the usage of these pronouns to understand how Paul is developing a certain sense of his theology. Now, why do I say this? Because as we continue to read, especially at the end of verses uh, chapters one and the beginning of chapter two, Paul would begin to make a distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. That is how the Jews had a blessing because they were initially the covenant people of God and had the blessings of God when the Gentiles were foreigners away from any covenant promises of God. So the Jews had blessings that the Gentiles as Gentiles, Did not, but what? Chapter two. Now the Gentiles have been incorporated alongside of the Jewish people to inherit the same blessings that the Jews now inherit. So we'll see the functioning of these prepositions. And now for that reason, he will continue to say, and thus you Gentiles, what? Look back at the theme give thanks to God, give praise to God for this wonderful, electing, saving grace, this inheritance of blessing in the heavenlies that at one time you did not have, but now in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, you are now having these blessings. So you, okay, I shouldn't have gone that far, but the point is, I was simply saying that we have to be cognizant of the usage of Paul's pronouns. All right. So let's go back to the text because I think I probably did a little more preaching than I did in teaching. All right. So this, he says, we're thanking God. Verse number four. Now verse number four is what we would call the elective language that Paul uses here. And it is, very strong in in Paul's writing to the Ephesians. It, it prepares, prepares the reader for the buildup in Ephesians two and eight. When Paul comes to that very point for by grace, you have been saved. Now we're going to talk about that. We're going to dissect that as well. But the point is when he gets to Ephesians two at that particular verse eight, That's when he brings it home strongly. This hat and verse nine as well, your salvation is due to the goodness and grace, kindness and love of God alone. There is zero, no merit within yourself. Goodness of God, glory of God, plan of God, will of God, your salvation, you give thanks to God and God alone. Do not dare stretch your hand behind your back and pat yourself on the back for anything. The reason you are saved, it is God's gift. So he prepares us for that. In the beginning verses in Ephesians, verse number number four, what? just as he, God has chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is, it was according to the choosing of God that God should give people a certain blessing. What blessing? the blessing of election. That's what it means each he has chosen us. and election is that verbal form is related to this particular verb that he has chosen us. He has chosen us in him. And notice what it says now to be in him, that him is in Christ Jesus as gift as gifts unto Christ by the activity of God's will when before the foundation of the world. That is pra katabales kasmu That is pra before the foundation of the world. Now without getting into a lot of Greek, but what you will see, especially in chapter one, are a lot of uh, uh, words that are uh, uh, that use this sense of before. That is the idea of predestination, or the idea of planning ahead planning before time. And that's why we see this particular word. Pra is so important as it begins to introduce this sense of things. That is our salvation. God is due unto God and it is due unto God's work before the foundation of the world. Katabale, before the world itself was laid into place before the world was even created. What did God do? God had already chosen for himself a particular people to inherit the blessings given to those whom he has chosen to say. God chose us in him before the world existed. This speaks of predestination. Now, the language that is being used here is not so much a language of particular individuals. That is being implied. Let me stress that again. That clearly is being implied, but the language here is holistically or collectively speaking of the saints of God as a whole. In other words, what Paul is simply saying is, is if I were to try to verbalize it in a very simplistic way, God chose a particular group of people to save before the world ever came into being. Now he is not naming or speaking individually saying by name this person, by name that person. That part is being implied because what? The group itself is a particular group. This group is not some group from, from some, okay, listen to what I'm about to say. Listen to what I'm about to say. This group is not some arbitrary Unknown group of people, God doesn't know You don't know whatever. No, or this group is a group by their choosing and what they want to do. No, no, no. This is a particular group. So important. Those whom God has elected unto salvation, when before they themselves were ever born, ever came into being, were. He did this before creation itself. So it shows what predestination, predetermination and prepurpose of God. So the point that Paul is hammering here is all of these things are due to the will and working of God, namely here, what our call unto salvation. But now let's continue this with the little time that we have left. Hammering that point, uh, in Christ I? make sure I'm right here be for in love. He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now that statement might be thick, but it's hammering home all of those luscious points that I've already made for you to the intent of what Paul was trying to say. So let's look at what he says in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus himself, right to himself. So what he saying? Notice, why is God choosing a particular people before the world creation itself? Why is God doing these things? Because God has effectively chosen to love this people. God has chosen by his own love to choose a particular people. You see that? So in love, but notice once again, we see, that operative word that deals with what the calling of a particular people by the will of God alone. This calling of those whom God has already chosen to save before the creation of the universe. Not because you chose to be saved, it was your will, you made up your mind. No, God had predestined you to be a part of these called out ones. What? He predestined us to be adopted as sons. And here, when he called uh, uh, this predestination, us called to be sons. It's bringing out once again that sense of what this is God's will bringing about his will that we should be what sons of God. And how will God accomplish this will in making us those whom he chose before the world was ever created, those who are his predestined ones. How has he done it through? Christ Jesus that is through what Jesus has done for us, the incarnation coming into flesh of the second person of the Trinity and this divine one coming in human form, living, dying for our sins and being resurrected from the dead and expressing faith in his person and in his works, Those who do so, you are now adopted as sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ, according to the will of the father. And you are doing such things. You know why? Because you have been predestined to this Adoption. So here, as I've already said to you, he is building. He, I I wish I had the right term in my mind In like cooking. I got this like cooking term in my mind where he is preparing this wonderful point, building up to chapter two, thereby understand you are saved by grace alone, not of your works less you should boast because this salvation was given to you from eternity past. You were predestined by this thing, according to the grace and the love of God. But let me finish it out. And so thus notice again, at the very end of that, he says, what? According to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So notice again, how he kind of closes up this section, that is, and why has God uh, predestined us? And why is it before the foundation of the world, before there was ever creation, God set apart, he elected a particular people to save. Was it something that God or knew some goodness that God foresaw in those who would believe in Jesus? Did it have anything to do with them? And that's the question, not so much as even the question, but that's what Paul begins to say even here. What does he say? Why has God done this? Because according to the kind intentions of his will, it's an expression of of God's kindness. It's an illustration of one of the characteristics, uh, one of the characteristics of God. God is making manifest. This is my kindness. I am going to demonstrate my kindness. I am going to let all of creation see my kindness, in choosing out of people for myself. And I'm doing this based on my kindness. Notice as it continues on, to the praise of my glory says the Lord, and according to my grace. That is, this is that which is undeserved. Grace is not merit. Grace is undeserved favor which he freely and noticed, and I'm giving without charge. So in other words, it's not about something that they did or they need to do in order to pay me back. He freely bestowed on us, the predetermined elect in the beloved Jesus Christ. So the whole point, and we end there, we see that Paul drives home this praise and the reason why, Paul began to say, as I told you earlier, what? Lord, I thank you for what you did. And the mindset of Paul is saying, I thank you for saving us because what? Clearly you, O Lord, have set apart and set aside a people before the world was ever created to be beneficiaries of your saving grace and all of the multitudes of blessings that you have reserved for your people. And you have done this because you are good, you are kind, you are loving, and you are gracious. You did this for us free of charge, apart from anything that we can say or do, you set us apart to experience, to inherit this loving grace. And thus, we end this introduction of sort into the book of Ephesians. All right, we thank God for this, and so join me next time as we continue in our study of this wonderful epistle of the Apostle Paul. And also, let me remind you, and let me say this, if these teachings have been a blessing to you, and God so moves your heart, remember, I do need you to support this ministry for the continued teaching ministry that we bring to you in the love of God. And always pray for this ministry. You'll find the link in the description that you can use to support me if God so moves your heart. But nevertheless, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your prayers and God bless you. And we truly look forward to seeing you in our continued studies of the book of Ephesians. See you next time, guys.